Hello and welcome to episode 193 of Three Beers and a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with Barry Neal. Barry, we're once again doing this by Zoom because the world is still shut down. We can't go anywhere. We're not allowed to go anywhere. I don't even know if I want to go anywhere. If I had to go somewhere right now, to be honest, I'm just I'm now used to my life as a sort of a yeah. hermit. Yeah, um, I know I've said this before recently, <laughs> but it's like even if they opened up the airports and the hotels tomorrow, I would not be on a plane. I would be no. just like... I'm just gonna write this one out, guys. I'm just gonna I'm gonna see how 2021, see how the land lies, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna go mental, you know. Yes. I'm 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 very content to be to be at home right now. Um, I'm finding a lot of joy being in the houses now, to be honest. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's like it's one of those things, see, because everything's been taken away from us for well, for me for so long. I'm kind of just like I'm actually starting to get kind of like just comfortable, just you know, pottering around the house and like I'm essentially becoming an old man. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm getting nervous about this. I'm getting nervous about the thought of going other places when it does open up. Like you know, the idea of going to places is making me a bit scared. Um, but hopefully yeah. that'll change. Um, but are you drinking anything tonight? Because we're doing this on a Friday night. A Friday night, yeah. It's later on a Friday night. So are you having? Nah, dude. I just I smashed a coffee just when we were talking off mic about just bollocks in our lives. Um, yeah. Outside that, nah, I did nothing. Nothing. I'm I just staying sober. That's month or two you know just yeah, taking it easy um i'm still finishing my beer box off so i've got this oh, one yeah. called um it's from avans a-v-a-a-n-s and that's a belgian pilsner again mm. very funky can as you can see mm. oh very nice very nice very black and black and gold which we do like in this household um so yeah so it's very nice very refreshing nothing too sort of nothing bad to write home about but nothing really sort of makes you go ooh. it's just it's nice for a friday night very refreshing yeah yeah nice yeah. way to get the night started exactly maybe be only one and a half tonight if it's only one and a half tonight i'm quite content with that i'm now at the point where one be the night is really all i need even not every night but like sort of friday Saturday, sunday like one maybe two at the most that's and i'm quite mm. content yeah yeah um, yeah, so as we normally begin recently, um, well, I'll actually start with this, sorry. So there is some football Camel Lairds news, Oh, which is the league season for them is due to start on the 31st of July, 2021. So nice, nice. hopefully they're back, and if they are back, we will look to do some more sponsorship with them again, and hopefully we'll get to see a game this season, obviously, travel permits and all such, you know, permitting, you know, if we're actually allowed to travel anywhere, but yeah. So Cavaliers and the league is back, hopefully on the 31st of July. Movie news. You, have you got any movie news this week of interest? Yeah, just, just one, uh, but I feel you might have the same news, and that yeah. is Godzilla. Godzilla versus King Kong absolutely smashing the box office. Yes. Well, COVID box office. Yes. Uh, pulling in a lovely $48 million. Yes. Forty million is is a, is a fair whack of money, but it's nothing compared to what that film costs to make. You know, so it's yeah. still it's not a lot of money. Um, no. Definitely more than say Wonder Woman brought in um, and a few other films brought in. So I'd like, like to see it bring in the money, um, and I think it shows an appetite for these films. And I, I will get to in a wee few moments. I have a great appetite for these movies. So um, it was nice to see. Hopefully, it does bode well for them to sort of want to continue and, and to make these films. Um, I don't think. From what I've seen so far, that there's been a great appetite to continue this release style because they're just simply not making the money that they no. would do if it's a normal release. You know, it's that's 48 million opening weekend for Godzilla would be seen as an absolute travesty. Absolutely, yeah. That's why it's like we're sitting here saying it smashed the COVID box office, but ultimately, 
when you look at the grand scheme of things before COVID, that's like a shit weekend. Aye, you know? That would be seen as an absolute disaster. That film has to do like a hundred million, you know, two hundred million yeah, yeah. opening weekend type thing. Something has to do massive money. Even even like a ninety million opening would be all right. But it needs to do massive money, not forty million. Um, just be, think, just because I've got it, just because I've got it open in front of me, its budget was between 160 and 200 million dollars. So, so you you normally add about 50 percent onto that again for like marketing. So you're probably talking that's a 300 million pound film. You know, so to only make 48 million is essentially a loss on that film, a massive loss on that film. Yeah. Now, it was put on in HBO, so I think the 48 million they're going to talk about so far is based purely on people like myself and you buying it from, uh, you know, Amazon or um, Apple Inc. or whatever else it was. What will be interesting though is how much it pushed people to go to HBO Max mm. in America. That, that's that's how HBO's Max whole thing. They're putting these films on there to try and drive up its um, uh, viewership and, and it's basically people registering to, to, to pay this every month. You know, how many people are buying it one month and then getting rid of it the next month? That's the question, you know. So that's where the film, that's where the value of that film will be. You know, if, if it makes 100 million people sign up for, for, um, for HBO Max this month and they don't all just sort of leave after a month, then that film has made a lot of money. But if it, if it, if it makes you 100 million people sign up and they all leave the next week, then it's not made a lot of money. You know, so that, that's, yeah. where, that's where the interest will, the interest will lie with it. But again, yeah. we'll get to it in a minute, but that, that's a film that should not be seen on a, on a television screen. It should be seen on a massive fucking IMAX, huge television, you know, huge movie screen. So great they've done well, and I'm happy that people are happy they've done well, but I wish I, I wish it was not the case where it was seen on that kind of screen. Absolutely, good. Absolutely. Um, that okay. wasn't my movie story yeah. this week. I've got a different one, um, and that is the fact that Sony has struck up a deal with Netflix. So all of Sony's material, or a lot of Sony material from 2022, I think, mm-hmm. will be going to Netflix, which is interesting to me for a, a couple of reasons. Number one, hopefully it means Netflix have actually films that are made before 1990 on it for a change, which would be nice to see, you know, something you know slightly older. Um, yeah. And also, which I'm really amazed at more than anything else, it's Sony hasn't made its own streaming platform. Mm. Like with everyone, uh, you know, they're actually they're, they're signing away, they're giving away their content, or getting paid for it, obviously, but they're giving away their content to Netflix, which I thought was very strange um, to do that. We have, we're not going to go down a rabbit hole because we have spoken about this before, but it's like maybe companies now are starting to be a bit more cautious about doing their own platform because they're starting to see people are now yeah, starting to not rebel against, but starting to go like, wait a minute, there's like like every fucking company's got their own platform now, which yes. is always another expenditure. So it's like, before you know it, you're paying a miniature fortune for all these streaming services. So maybe that's why Sony's like, to be honest, we'd rather just cut a deal. Netflix is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, it could be. It could be that Sony has literally seen, you know, a saturated marketplace and said doesn't want to try and wade into that and basically not be worth it. That is a hundred percent an option. I mean, it could be that yeah. they're dumping the stuff on Netflix just now, and it's a five. I don't know how long the deal is. They made maybe like a five year deal, mm. and they're using that time to see what goes under, what remains, what what is left of the charred landscape of you know the streaming services, and then right. they'll make their move in five years' time. You know, which would be an un, would be a dumb play. You know, because there's so many out there that you've talked before, like how many actually survived in it? Once 
lockdown ends and once we can go to the cinema again, how many folk are going to keep on all these streaming services? I mean, I've got, I've got a ton of them on right now, more than I would have normally yeah. because of the fact lockdown's on. Yeah. But once lockdown ends and the cinema is back, I'd, I'll probably get rid of a few of them because I'll need that money for cinema. Yeah, exactly. And as, like I said something similar a few weeks ago where it's like all these people who have had like subscriptions been cancelled for things suddenly in the next like couple of months those subscriptions are going to get switched back on again and if you're paying for like disney and fucking everything else because you've got the kids at home all day it's like suddenly you're going to be looking at it again and being like no let's just start cancelling stuff and you will like some things will fall by the wayside the more kind of premium right up there price tags i think what's the most expensive one is it disney for the uk is that the most expensive one i think disney might be a um, it's yeah. hard to know because like Disney and Netflix are tied up in my Sky bill. My Apple TV is tied up in my Apple bill. Yeah, I've got you know Star as well, and you've got a few other ones and Hulu and things like that. But they're all kind of, they're only they're on the cheapest now. They're like one ninety nine for six months, and it's like the world change in a couple of months' time. So it's how much I'm going to keep them on after like, Shudder as well. How much mm. they'll change once they go up in price, you know? Because yeah. I feel like I've watched most of the content on, let's like, say, for example, Shudder. That I want to watch. I don't really have any, they're not making a lot of content available. I'm going like, oh, I'm keeping up with that. Even Disney for a while was doing that. Like when I first bought Disney at the very at the very start of lockdown, there was so little on it compared to that I was actually willing to pay for. Um, because it's like all old movies, which are all great, wonderful to have. I've got a lot of them. Um, yeah. It was only stuff like the Mandalorian, and then they put the Hamilton musical on it, and then they put on recently they put on like the Wonder Vision and Winter Soldier and things like that. So the beginning they put it makes it actually worthwhile keeping it on, but they have to keep that up, otherwise they will decide it's maybe not worth it because not a lot of film. I'm not watching a lot of stuff on it that's not those things. Mm. You know, yeah, I'm totally, one hundred percent agree, dude. It's and a kind of roundabout way, me and Stacey have been found ourselves very fortunate because of our situation we're in. We have ever kind of like life hasn't changed in terms of like taking on like extra subscriptions to fill the the void but like you said when you go back to work when you go back to traveling and cinemas and all that suddenly you're going to be like well i'm never in the fucking house again it's like oh i don't need fucking disney plus or like i only need disney plus for like six months i've got disney plus now because i want to watch for example uh, Black Widow's going to come out on Disney Plus at some point. You know, I want to watch that film. Soul, I want to watch. You know, I want to watch those kind of things. If I was, if the cinema was available, the cinema's there, they, they'd be in the cinema. So I don't need Disney Plus at that point. Yeah. You know, the things I want to, you know, I don't really care about watching Mighty Ducks again. I've got it on DVD anyway. I don't really need to pay to have Mighty Ducks on Disney. You know, all the Simpsons, yeah, all the Simpsons, you know, stuff like that. So it will be yeah. interesting to see what falls the wayside um, in, in later months. Um, and like I said, Sony is interesting what they're going to do as well. I mean, I'm intrigued to know, A, what's going to go on Sony? What are they going to give up? You know, what are they going to show on Netflix? Because like, I'd love to see, Sony's got a great back catalogue of old stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to see some older films on Netflix. Because to be honest, trying to find something on Netflix that was made before 1990 is almost impossible. It's so, so fucking hard. It's everything just, you know, in the last, like, you know, maybe 10 years. Mm. and there's so much shit on it as well it's from the last 10 years it's not even good stuff there's a lot of old films that you can't find anymore so hopefully they would maybe Sony will put, make a lot of stuff available for for Netflix mm. to put their old stuff on yeah, yeah. It's, just a quick question then we can fire in, into this does, uh, does Sony still own the rights to Spider-Man or did it move back to Marvel 
there's a it, it's there's a lot going on with Sony and Spider Man to be honest. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Sony still own the rights to Spider Man, but they loan them out to the Disney. But there's a sort of weird re- re- legal wrangle of where they can use Spider Man, where Spider Man can be seen. It, it's it's um, it's a minefield of of all things. Um, yeah. See, so, like Sony still owns technically owns I think the Fantastic, not the Fantastic Four, but something else they own that's quite big. I don't know what it is now, but they own something else quite big that you can't touch with Marvel and stuff like that, and Sony's got it and stuff like that. And yeah. It's all very, it's all very mucky and, and messy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Fair enough. enough. Um, yeah, so let's move on to the movies of this week. So we'll start with one that we just mentioned previously. It's a new release. It's out on HBO Max in America. You've got HBO Max out there. Um, in Britain, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on Apple. You can buy it in many, many places and find it in many, many places if you, if you don't want to buy it and um, i did buy it i paid i paid my 15 pounds to buy this and it's godzilla versus kong and um, the third part or fourth part technically of the sort of monster movie mashups that have been happening recently i don't know i, I watched quite recently i watched all and in a lead up this i watched all i watched skull kong island kong skull island sorry and the godzilla film and godzilla king of the monsters and then i laid into this one i had a very large monster movie weekend which was, was enjoyable Nice. Um, this one is directed by Adam Wingard, who directed a, a film called Your Next, which was great. The Guest, also very good. A Blair Witch remake that was, yeah, And a film called Death Note as well, which was not too bad. So he's an interesting director, very genre-specific, very horror-specific. This is, this is an interesting direction. It's certainly, certainly the biggest film he's done so far. This film is huge compared to sort of smaller um, kind of horror bent, horror thriller films that he's done in the past. Um, the plot of this film, I mean, is it a plot? I mean, who cares? Um, <laughs> Godzilla. Um, Godzilla and Kong. Well, what is what is it really plot? Kong is Godzilla. Godzilla went on the rampage, so they want to use Kong and all to try and basically take down Godzilla. And um, so Godzilla has a fight. At the same time, there's a evil corporation who might be trying to do other bad things to the world and use these two giants in their favour. Um, yeah. Ultimately, the plot does not really matter. What you're what you're watching for is Kong fighting Godzilla. That is entirely the the, the point of the film. Um, in the film, you've got Alexander Skarsgård looking very pretty and Skarsgårdian. And Kyle Chandler pops up for two minutes. Millie Bobby Brown reprises her role from the last one. Eliza Gonzalez pops up as well. Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, and Julian Dennison uh, from Hunt for a lot of people. He also pops up in it. It's a, quite, it's quite a decent cast, quite an interesting cast. You know, it's not a, it's definitely not a, a weak cast. You know, all very good actors and you know some award, not, not award winning, but definitely respected actors in it. Um, out of interest, just before we start, are you a Godzilla man or are you a Kong man? Where, where, where do your loyalties lie? Well, at the end of the last Godzilla movie, I was a Godzilla fan, but then he turned out to be a bad guy in this movie, and I was like. What? <laughs> Sorry, when did this happen? <laughs> I thought he was a good guy. He's always so, a bad guy, kind of. Yeah, apparently he's a bad guy when he decides he just wants to smash things up. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I wasn't really rooting for any... As To be honest, I'd probably root more... I was more rooting for, like, King Kong in the movie. Okay. Uh, just, I, don't, I don't know. I, don't, I kind of just felt bad for Kong because he was in that kind of big funny zoo thing. Yeah. for him, that big cage hang. So I kind of feel bad for him. And then the fact that they stuck him on a boat, I was like, what the fuck is even going on here? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? So 
I'm very but, much yeah. in the Godzilla camp. I'm, I'm a massive Godzilla fan. I'm definitely a, a, a fan of the big, big green guy. Um, so yeah. I'm always on, on, on Team Godzilla. Um, I'll start on this one. Um, this is uh, this is a lot of fun. Like I, I don't, I actually a lot of fun. This I enjoyed the fuck out of this. It's 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 fun. The action is absolutely spectacular. Like if you want to watch Godzilla and Kong fight on a battleship, like an like an old nine, like an old like Mortal Kombat style beat 'em up, this yeah. is the song for you. That that literally happens in the first what, half hour, forty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Kong is a fight on a fucking battleship, and it's amazing. Um. The action between them is all fantastic. The showdown when they're fighting in um, the Hong Kong with all the kind of neon lights and stuff like that, that looks absolutely phenomenal. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, it moves at pace. There's lots of location jumping. Um, it, it you know goes all over the world or goes inside the world at one point as well. Um, but all, and, and saying that, it's, it's all under two hours, which is also incredible as well, which I was really impressed with. Um, yeah. The only big problem with it is, it's, it's not really a problem as much, but there's far too much plot in this film to try and get them together. Like, the, the plot was absolutely... I, mean, I know you need, you need some reasoning behind it to make them, but, but ultimately, the plot does not matter. All we're there for is to watch the two of them fucking wail on each other. And when that, yeah. when that, when that stuff does happen, and when the big when the, when the, when the twist happens, like, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who's not seen it, there's a cool twist of, of, in the fight. That was amazing. Like I was so happy when that happened. I was so loving every second of it. So... When they're on screen fighting and when it's on like on them, it's brilliant. When you sort of move away to like sort of this weird subplot with like a podcaster trying to break into like sort of a a, a massive corporation to try and prove something, it loses yeah. all pace and interest. You just, all you do is want to get back to them, the, the, the two big guys just wailing on each other. Um, exactly. So what would you think of this? Pretty much the exact same. Did it was like the story was just. Absolutely bothering not needed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but then I guess you need to try and justify spending a lot of money on a movie. You, do, you know, you my only slight negative takeaway is, and only time will tell, is how good this movie is going to look in say like five, ten years because it is so heavy on the CG front. Good point, yeah. Because I did notice there was a couple of moments with, with Kong, it looked rough. Like it looked like the lighting was wrong on him. Right. Like you, you could act. I, I noticed that you could tell that he was CG apart from the fact it's King Kong. But like you looked at him and he looked like he wasn't in that scene. Just oh, every okay. minute, it was just a couple of there was a couple of frames where you looked at it and went, "Oh, that that looks odd." Yeah. All I said, only time will tell. Right. Um, very much the same as you. I just want to see them kick fuck at each other. I, yeah. I literally have no care about a podcast. <laughs> about yeah. a, sorry, a podcast yeah. going into some fucking secret lair. Like, A, I don't care. B, literally everyone in the movie, apart from the giggle, didn't care. So you're yeah. just a bit like, yeah, I get it. You need to kind of hone in a story, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. And podcasts are hot right now, so why not, you know? Yeah. Um, but, and it's a bit bad for like, the human characters in it because most of the cast are very, very good. You know, you like Alexander Skarsgård is always very good in everything he does. Most um, Kyle Chandler is amazing in most things. He's like he is mm -hmm. a new prototype Tom Hanks, at least it's like the ultimate dad figure. Brian mm -hmm. Tyree Henley is excellent. Julian Dennison from Hunt the World of People has made some really average choices since Hunt the World of People. He's not been anything really that great. I want him to do well. I think he seems like a really nice dude. 
Rebecca Hall's in a lot of good stuff as well, Eliza Gonzalez as well. It's just Billy Bobby Brown, we watched her in Nola Holmes recently. She's got so much charm and so much wit and Stranger Things yeah. as well. To use them in this film, I feel like a total waste to have them in the film. Just to, you know, if you're going to use them, use them. But in saying that, if they put more plot with them in it, they probably film would have ballooned down to like two hours 40 and that would have pissed me off. You know, they kept it trimmed to two hours and that is something we can only applaud. You know, to get this one down to two hours, that, that's really something. Yeah, yeah, totally, man, totally. Something that never gets discussed about when it comes to these kind of movies is the actual, like, collateral damage that these two or any two monsters are causing. I mean, like, literally, they're, they're literally punching each other through buildings and I stuff know. and dragging each other across the town. No one sits and goes, hey, okay, that was pretty cool, but to be honest, our death count is out of control. It's like half the city's died. They do always make a wee comment nowadays of, like, saying the city's just been evacuated so that there's no, like, sort of human collateral down. It's only buildings that can take them out. You don't ever see anything, like, sort of good or picking up people and, like, sort of biting your head off them we used to see. Um, yeah. That's sort of like a, I think it's actually like stuff like the Transformers and things like that. They have like, they have a track to show some level of, you know, humanity, humanity you know, when it yeah. comes to it. Nope. Um, that, that was quite a cool scene though. Uh, it was, I can't remember, was it Godzilla or was it Kong? I can't remember. It was fucking one of them anyway. And it was like the camera was pointing up the way and it was like people were like running down the street or something. And yeah. you seen, the, I can't remember what one it was, but it was one of them. Like going over the top of them, and I was like, "That's a fucking cool shot." You know, yeah, like Adam Wingard seemed to have a real sort of idea of how these films should look. You know, a real sense of genre. So it, 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 there's times that it did actually feel like an old movie. Like there's times when, they, when they're fighting in the cut of the wide shot, where it mm. it almost did look like two guys in suits fighting, which I kind of loved. It looked kind of a wee bit clunky, which I was like, "This is yeah, just ever so slight nod to the old days." Yeah, and I was like, "I am so here for that." And it's a couple of like, the kind of the kind of jerky zoom motion and on and on um, Godzilla, which I thought again is a wee kind of hallmark of the originals and stuff like that. And Godzilla's wee turn to the camera now and again, which I thought a wee a wee hint to the old the old movie. So like I like that you got that they got a sense of what these characters were and what the old versions were. So mm. I, like I said, it's by no means a fantastic film, you know, in terms of like story and plot and like you know that kind of stuff. But as a pure spectacle of enjoyment. I had a shit ton of fun with it, and, I, and I, it gave me everything I wanted from a Godzilla film. Yeah, I, I think like I think if you're going into these kind of movies expecting some deep, meaningful plot and coming away like a changed person, you're drastically in the wrongs. Uh, yes, you're in the wrong movie because this is literally what it says in the tin. It's literally just either one or two monsters just kicking fuck at each other or. Something, you know it's, what I mean? It's, it's what like, I want to see. It's what I pay for. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, I've got I've got the Kong v Godzilla from the nineteen seventies, and the same idea. It's Kong beating the fuck out Godzilla. It's the same idea. It's, it's, it's essentially like it's essentially like a porn movie, but for the cinema. It's like <laughs> you're not watching it for the plot. You're watching yes. it for the action. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, out of ten, what are you giving it? Ah, oh, fucking easy. Eight out of ten. That's man. Got a very solid seven out of ten myself. Very much enjoy. I, I I do see its faults, but I had a shit ton of fun with it. Exactly, exactly. You know. Um, from that, we go on to an Amazon original, um, which is the, called The Mauritanian, um, directed by Kevin McDonald, who we talked about quite recently. He directed the films The Day, uh, Life in a Day. He's done both those films. Um, yeah. He also does um, fiction with um, Last King of Scotland, How I Live Now, State of Play. He's, he's a man who does a lot of different kind of work. Um, the plot of this film is there's a, a gentleman in 
uh, I think it's Iraqis or Afghanistan, who is basically picked up by American troops as being one of the involvements of 9-11. And the mm. only evidence really I have against him is the fact he took a phone call from his cousin yeah. and apparently came from bin Laden's phone. And that, that's sort of the main evidence I have for him. Yeah. And the fact he lived in Germany as well. And they reckon that he's basically hiring people. He, he was the sort of chief hijack, chief architect and then sort of money man behind 9-11. And because of that, they keep him in jail for over, over nearly 15, nearly 10, 12 years or something along those lines. Yeah, um, yeah. Animal Bay. And this film is really about the American lawyers who are trying to get him out of prison based on the fact that the American government just keep people in prison without trial, without, you know, even charging them with anything, just basically keep them in a sort of this limbo um, of being accused, or not even accused, just being kept in limbo. Um, and it's his struggle to try and get out along, alongside the lawyers. Um, and the film, you've got Tahir Rahim, who plays uh, the gentleman who's been put in prison. He's not been in much that people might know over here. It's a, he's in a French film called um, A Prophet, which was excellent. If you get a chance to watch it, it's on Netflix. It's a really good movie. Um, he plays sort of the, 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 the guy who's in jail. Jodie Foster plays the lawyer. Shailene Woodley plays the assistant. Zachary Levy popped up as a, an army guy. And Benedict Cumberbatch plays the sort of lawyer who is tasked by the government to basically convict somebody. Um, and he starts to sort of, as the film progresses, question why he's been asked to do this when he um, mm. starts seeing the evidence. Um, what do you think of this one? I'm going to try and skirt around the kind of political angles. I'm going to yeah. stay away from it and just yeah. treat it as what it is. This is a good movie. I like this movie. Okay. I watched it this afternoon. Um, it was... I just thought it was really well done. It really captured like a moment in time, which is, well, for us too anyway, it's at least part of our history as we can yeah. transition into adulthood. Much at, so. least it, at least it's still with us or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Benedict doing an American accent. I can I never get it. I don't like I don't it. It totally. No. I say to Jill at the time, and I even text Stuart um, at the time going to do it. I do not like coming back to an American accent. It absolutely fucks in my head. It just so, yeah. it feels so like an actor acting. Yeah. 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 It, I, yeah I, don't, I don't know what it is, but anything he's doing in an American accent is just, I'm like, oh, Jesus. And he's not even that bad at it. He's what? actually pretty decent. But yeah. I'm just like, nah. It's like, <laughs> if, you hear, if you hear Idris Elba doing an American accent, it doesn't make you feel weird, even though he is very English. Same with mm. Corey as well. You go, does, um, does it matter? You know, Christian Bale as well. There, he's Welsh and stuff like that. But there's something about Cumberbatch. There, even Kate Winslet again. She's very, yeah. very kind of very well-spoken posh English. You can do an American accent, no problem. When I get Cumberbatch doing American accent, I just it makes me cringe. It makes me feel really uneasy. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what does. Uh, fucking as always, Jodie Foster smashed it out the park as per usual. <laughs> you know, Jodie Foster man, Jodie Foster, what she's doing. Yeah, it's like the easiest home run ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, oh fuck, I forgot her name. Uh, the character was uh, Terry. She, I thought she was really good in it as well. That was one that sat next to Jodie Foster. Yeah, Shelley Woodley. Yeah, the assistant. Yeah. yeah, she was excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, fucking strong cast. If I even like the fella who was who was a terrorist, I don't have his name in front of me, but whoever he was, uh, Tahir Rahim. Yeah. I thought he was he played it phenomenal and then yeah. at the end of the movie when you see the the actual guy, you're like, 
that is a damn good fit. Like, right. doesn't look is... doesn't look like him, but he has a he, he acts like him, which I think is important. Yeah. He doesn't really look like him, but he definitely has a sort of mannerism and such, and he has this sort of you can get you can see he's tapped into the character of him of who he is, which I think is yeah. most important. Looking like someone doesn't make you that person, but you got to get into the character yeah. of who that person was. And he definitely got that. I'm kind of the same as you. I thought it was really strong performances. I thought all the cast were excellent, especially Raheem. I thought he was brilliant. But I did think it was let down by a very, very, very slow-paced script. That sort yes. of it meandered to the finale to the point where like, the, the code at the end had been the stuff up on screen of what's happened. That felt longer than the film. It felt like there was a lot of text on the screen towards the end. We're like, is this just a book I'm reading now? It felt like there was a lot of stuff there that felt like yeah. you've, you've spent a lot of time to get here and then you've got to put all the information into like a coder. I'm like, Jesus, that's just too much. Um, and that, I liked how at some bits uh, when it was shown, like, I know it's not a documentary, I know it's all acted, but it's kind of nice in a way how you've seen that there was actual still like nice people within Guantanamo Bay, like uh, talking to him and helping him, like yeah. not helping him, but like talking to him and kind of treating him like a human. Rather than just treating them like a piece of shit, you know. Well, see, I'm reading this book just now. It's called "The Prisoner in His Palace." It's uh-huh. about, um, uh, the guards who basically guarded Saddam Hussein once he got found before his execution, and the same talk about how much they liked him. Because yeah. he, once you take away the, the trappings of who this person is or of what he did, you can be a, you can you see him as a human being, and you start to like them, and you like the personality, and you can actually get to enjoy it, and you'll enjoy the company. And I imagine mm. that's what it felt like. Even though these guys, in their mind, this guy was a terrorist and this guy done bad, 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 bad things. Once you start chatting about, you know, the basics, you know, maybe they start chat about sport or they chat about, you know, wives and children, it becomes much more simplified and you, and you almost forget about what other things they are, you know, they're accused of or, or what they're, you know, that stuff. So I think it's very easy. And I, and I, I did like it that, that there was girls in the place who just didn't treat them like that, but there was a lot of people who did find that humanity. Um, within themselves and within the within the, the prisoner, um, not enough to be honest, but at least some of them did. Yeah, yeah. Just about yourself. What did? How did you feel about this movie when you were sitting there watching it? I mean, I like the strong performances. I, I did. This, it felt so slow. I mean, it's two hours and what twenty minutes or something. It feels. I mean, it's longer than it's, 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 it's a chunky fucking movie. Um, but the story is very important, and I, and I get why they put it on screen. Um. But it isn't really presented with any sort of new slant. You know, there's, there's a film out earlier this year called The Report. Remember we watched that one? It was about the yeah. yeah. I felt like everything in the report was also in this. Mm. So I didn't really feel I, I learned anything new. No. You know, no. other than you know, you know, that's what's felt a bit of letdown. But if I retread a lot of ground, maybe if I hadn't seen the report, this would have actually probably hit me harder, you know, because it felt like, oh, I've learned something here. Um but it, it, it's it's an okay film. It's a fine film. I think the running time will push a lot of people. It's, it, it does it does meander at times, and I thought that was a bit of an issue. Um, and I don't think there's enough regarding the the finale. I feel like it, it like it took a long time to get to the finale, and then a lot of stuff happens after the finale that you're just really seeing through text and a couple of weeks and clips, and that felt like a bit of a, you know you could probably have trimmed the rest of the film down. And there's also a lot of stuff that just feels very much like I've seen before. You know, it's like the lawyer sitting in the office with 50,000 boxes trying to read the way through them. The assistant yeah. who wants to help but then backs out and doesn't want to help because you feel it's not good for a career. And you get the, the, the law the law firm sort of pushing against it because it's bad for their, their image. It felt, it probably did happen that way, but it felt kind of cliched a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess these kind of conversations happen all the time when, like, because at the end of the day, someone needs to represent, like, a bad guy, you know. Not saying this fellow was a bad guy, but it's like, you know, there always has to be two camps, you know. That's, I mean, that's also a really interesting point. That, that's a really interesting story, the idea of, of representing people who either you think are guilty or don't deserve representation, but you have to represent them. You know, yeah, yeah. rapists, murderers, terrorists all get representation, you know, and, the, and it's the lawyer's job in order to do his best job to try and get them off. If he doesn't do that, then, or he or she doesn't do that, then it can totally, it can fuck up the trial. So it must, it, that's, an, you know, what she's doing here is like, she obviously doesn't, she thinks he is innocent, so she's doing this because she's try to prove the government wrong. Mm. But as idea of like people how people perceive, you know, representation of someone who you believe to be guilty. And that's mm. when Cumberbatch into this issue because he at first believed this guy's 100 percent guilty and he's doing everything in mind to convict him because his friend was on one of the planes that you know hit the towers. Yeah. And it's interesting watching his character go through the motion of go through the, the, the journey of like understanding like this might not be the right guy, this might not be the right thing. And it's like trying to get inside his head. So Maybe there was too much going on. Maybe that was part of the problem. Maybe there's too many little stories that mm. got distracted. I, I'd probably prefer if the story maybe focused perhaps on the Tahir Rahim because I felt his performance was the most interesting. So it, it, it's a fine film. I think it will test people's patience at two hours and 20 minutes. But as a movie, I, 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 I found it watchable, but maybe not watching again. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't... I'm more interested in picking up the fella's book than I am yeah. actually sitting here watching this again. Uh, I feel his book would be a bit more engaging and interesting, you know? Perhaps. Yeah. Um, out of 10? Uh, solid seven. I'm giving it a six. It just, to me, it was really just kind of like the running time was this kind of downfall. Like you said, the pace was slow. Yeah. And that was, you know? Yeah. I'm giving it six out of 10. Um, and from that, we go into a Netflix movie. And this is one that might divide us. It's called The Bad Trip, or just Bad Trip, sorry. Written by Kato Sakuri, who directed a film called Aardvark a few years ago and also done lots of TV. Um, this is probably, the plot of this one is very interesting. It's about basically two guys who are trying to get across country in, in order to get to an art gallery where the guy who's, the girl a guy he likes has basically invited him to his art gallery. He thinks that if he goes to this, she'll fall in love with him and they'll become the happy couple. That's a basic story. They've also mm. stole, they've also borrowed the car of one of the guy's sister who's just escaped the prison and wants a car back in a very meaningful way. She loves the car. Mm. She's pursuing them across state lines not to get the car back. The twist on that is, it's basically a road trip maybe, the twist on it is along the way, they sort of interact with real people and they sort of have stunts set up to try and like sort of see the reaction between, you know, how these real people sort of react to this and it sort of becomes like almost like sort of Jackass and Practical Jokers cross of a road movie, um, mm. and and essentially that's that that's a twist on it. So anything you get Eric Andre from the Eric Andre Show, uh, little little Riel Howry, he plays the best friend. Michaela Conlon plays the the object of the affection, who I really like because she's in Bones and I love her in Bones. And Tiffany Haddish plays the crazy fuck sister who is out to kill them. Um. I'll start with the positive on this one. I found this film genuinely quite funny at parts. Um, right. And I found it, what I liked about it, and this is why I found it funny, it, it's not cringy. Because I thought when I heard about the fact that like sort of real people set up, it can be real cringy. And also, 
it would be that I've no problem watching stuff where someone else is embarrassed. I I, I get embarrassed watching other people get embarrassed. Does that make sense? Mm. And I feel really I find it tough to watch. So I had a feeling that this might be along those lines, and that the the joke would be on all the people that it happened to. That's why I don't like that's why I don't like impractical jokers. Because Joe loves impractical jokers. He laughs at it all the time, and same with Jackass. But the people who are they think they're smarter, so they're they're almost playing jokes on the real people, and making them out to be stupid. And I think. They're not assuming they're, they're, they're being tricked, you know. Yeah. And this film doesn't make them out to be idiots. It makes them, they, they're not the butt of the joke. The butt of the joke is the two guys doing it, which I think is, is a, it's a fine line, but that to me makes it more powerful to watch. Yeah. Um, the two guys who are in the roles are all very committed to what they do, Mike. Like some of the shit they do is really fucking insane. Um, there's a particular scene with a gorilla, which um, has to be seen to be believed, and will definitely. Uh, question um, your 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 staying power on this film, um, but in saying that, even at eighty five minutes, the premise of this becomes very thin very quickly. You get the idea gets stretched out very quickly, and oh. it does lose steam toward the final half hour forty minutes. So it, it does become a lot less interesting. I also refuse to give any respect to a movie that gives any sort of respect to white chicks. Because White Chicks is genuinely the worst film in the history of humanity and one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever watched in my life ever. So yeah. any film that sort of holds it up as something positive, I'm firmly, firmly against. That being said, take that out of it. I didn't dislike this film. Now over to you. Well. <laughs> I don't even know when the shit, when all that stuff was released. But see, like whenever, like whenever Jackass movies and TV show were like red hot this movie would have slotted in perfectly but see now that we've even had like YouTubers doing like prank videos and all that kind of stuff and like we've had all this like kind of like, like in the movie there's like a flash dance and it's like to me that's like so dated and it was only a couple of years ago that kind of trend of doing like flash dances this movie just, I just sat there and I just thought, this is just, I don't know, however many years too late to the to the start line. That it's not a bad movie. It's just 2021. I feel like we're kind of past this kind of stuff. Like I've watched a few like practical jokers, but to me, a bit like yourself, it wears thin really quickly. And it's the same yeah. with Jackass. I used to love Jackass, but see now when I watch it, I just sit there and I'm like. Oh, this is like, uh, uh, all right, all right, cool. I get it. You know, yeah. doesn't that kind of comedy just doesn't do anything for me anymore? Unfortunately, yeah. uh, are we too like, mature now for this? No, because I I still laugh at like Family Guy sometimes okay. and stuff, like that. and I even laugh at South Park as well. So, okay, but I just there's there's just something about this whole interacting with real people in this kind of way, albeit slightly different from like Practical Jokers and Jackass. It is slightly different, but like you said, that gorilla scene, how did they not sit there and go, man, that's a guy in a fucking suit. You I'm, know with you. I mean? I'm with you. It is messed up. But the, the, interest, the funny part is like how people like don't react to it almost. Like there's a scene in the, like, when he's in the diner. Um, I yeah. Know, um, uh, like 
he works in like a sort of smoothie place and he gets his hand in a blender. Yeah. And it's the people rather than help him just run away. And it's like <laughs> that to me was really fucked up. But it's like, you know. But what I would say and what you see in the, the outtakes of it, the one you see on camera isn't necessarily the only one they filmed. Mm. They might have done done the same setup four or five times in order to get the best reaction. So for all yeah. we know, there are three versions of that joke where people just sort of ran to help him and realized it was a, a fake, it was fake very quickly. Yeah. Whereas the one they show is the one that sort of has the best comedic effect of the guys running away from it. So yeah, it, 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 it's still pieced together. It's still edited together, obviously, to make a film. Um, like I say, it, I was like halfway through. It must have been about the forty odd minute mark or the hour, or just before the hour mark or whatever. Like I literally paused it. In fact, I actually text you saying like. I literally think I'm over this. It was when the flash dance happened. I was like, nah, I'm fucking tapping out. This is like flash dance is... in the first 20 minutes, dude. No. It was. Was it? Uh-huh. Oh, right. Well, there you go. First 20 minutes, I paused it and then I went. I went and like I paused it and then went for a walk, a walk to the back of the house, got something to eat, had a drink and all that, came back through, started like unpaused it and kept on watching like I need to just finish this just to say I didn't quit halfway through yeah. and even at the end I still felt the exact same I just sat there like yeah that did nothing for me apart from waste my time well, see, I did laugh a couple of times at it um, but I That's would a- say it does push the credit it does push my interest at 85 even at 85 minutes I was losing interest at within an hour um, like, so it was, but I text you as well. It was like the very last bit was the only bit in the home buyer movie that I did actually slightly chuckle at. Was when they all got up to dance and stuff. I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. That's quite funny. Okay, can have that one. Yeah, that one. Um, it's, I think I think it's an interesting enough film. It's an interesting premise, and it's actually quite impressive. I can pull it off to some degree. Mm. Um, but it doesn't have the same. Punch as something like Borat, for example. But then I think Borat, I struggle with sometimes because Borat, he seems to be making a fool of people rather yeah. than making a fool of himself. This film very much is they're the idiots rather than making fun of other people. Um, but it's, it does, even at 85 minutes, I've said before, it, it, it is losing interest after an hour. Um, once the story yeah. kicked, once that's the time to put a story into that's when I kind of lost interest with it a little bit. Mm. You know, once the story, once you go from, you know, doing the, the silly stuff and having the reaction to that, once you sort of have to put like a narrative in it towards the end, that's when I really did feel this is, it's not that great. And um, I would give it a very average five out of ten. What about you? Yeah, I was joining you on that one purely just because I was like, I did suffer through it. So, and, and I like, I know what they're doing. It's yeah. just, in fact, sorry, this came out in fucking 2020. It's just like, it's just, it's too late to the party. That's all it is. If this came out fucking whenever, like Jackass and all that was, it would be cool. But now I'm just over it, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. I think we're old now. I think that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> last film uh, is one, again, you can buy on VOD, Amazon, Apple TV, etc. Um, and that is, again, for the, the very price of $14.99 to rent for a few days, which is quite expensive. Um, and that film is Judas and the Black Messiah, which is, my, for my money, the best title um, of 2021 so far. It's a pretty badass title. Um, you'll be mm. hard best doing anything better than that. Um, directed by Shaka King, um, who directed Newlyweeds and sold a random television, which I don't really know. This is, the, this is the film, this is a plot. 
this film is about about the Black Panthers, but specifically it's about um, a gentleman called Bill O'Neill, who was basically, I would say, blackmailed by the police in order to infiltrate the Black Panthers in order to bring down Fred Hampton, who was the leader of the Black, the Black, the Black Panthers. Um, and the film basically follows their two stories, sort of in parallel as we sort of travel over maybe close to a year or so, um, ultimately mm. ending in the how it ends, which is a historical record. You can find out how it all ends. Um, and yeah, just sort of following, it's basically a biopic about two men and both kind of opposite ends of the struggle um, for civil rights. Um, and if you get Daniel Kaluuya, he plays Fred Hampton, Lakeith Stanfield plays Bill O'Neill, Jesse Plemons plays an FBI agent, Martin Sheen plays J. Edgar Hoover, and Dominique Fishback plays the wife or girlfriend of uh, Daniel Kaluuya in the film. Um, I'll start with this one. It's a really fascinating insight, I think, into two very unique individuals, you know, because mm. Fred Hampton, like, you know, not spoiled, but Fred Hampton dies at 21. You know, and what he, how he spoke and what he did at 21 is fucking phenomenal. When you hear him speaking, it's, it's really powerful. And for a 21-year-old man have, have that level of, you know, discourse is something quite extraordinary. And you see Bill O'Neill as well, who the guy who sort of, who, who, who's, ultimately responsible for his death. You see him and he's, he's sort of, it's seen this man having to deal with what he did and, and who he was and what was caused. So it's a really, and it's really, really poignant, really touching sort of biopic between of these two men. And I thought that both Kalua and Stanfield were absolutely phenomenal in the role. They were ab- and, and very worthy of the Oscar nominations they've got for this film. And yeah. It's two hours long, but I think it I think it works in two hours. I don't think you could do this in ninety minutes. I think that's it's one of the films we watch and you go this, it needs its two hour runtime. And um, there's so much involved in there's so much story and and uh, yeah, need, need to do need that it's still crammed in, there's stuff missing out. Um, and it never talks twisting and turning. Um but what it does, what I did really appreciate about it and what I think is really important to, to um know about it is Bill O'Neill, I don't think is he's not a villain. He was as much uh He's much destroyed by the FBI as anyone else. You know, he he is he doesn't want to do this. He, he is sort of he's looking out for his family and for himself, and he's sort of and it just this is the way the the government and the FBI forced them to do it. Mm. And who among us would not do something similar? But take a very strong man who can him when you're you know you're up for you know you could be twenty years in jail or you know spying on your people. You know, it's a it's a really tough thing, and something we can all probably think about. It reminds me a lot, actually, of sort of history from a different angle. You know, a bit like um, if you're seen the Hamilton musical, they do that with the 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 Aaron Burr character, who was the assassin of Hamilton, and he's always the villain of the story. When you actually see the story they put in place for him, he doesn't seem quite as much of a villain in, as as you would imagine. And then this, mm-hmm. I think, they do that a lot with the villain character. He's not. A villain in this film. He just he's a guy who is really struggling with who he is and, and what he can do in order to survive. Um, and yeah. you know, so I found that I found it so compelling throughout the whole film. Um, and 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 the you should you I don't, I don't have a lot of respect for the FBI in this time period, knowing what they have done not only to Fred Hampton but to Martin Luther King and to Malcolm X. This further you know 
nails that coffin of like, you know, these people are absolute bastards. And you hear what you hear the sort of dialogue comes out of the Jagger Hoover character's mouth, you're like, it's just it's absolutely sickening to hear and you just you don't really know how to process it. Um, but no, mm. I thought it was a fin- I thought it was a phenomenal movie. Um, so well acted, so well performed, wonderful writing, fantastic direction. I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Hope it yourself. Yeah, yeah. I really hope this picked up an award of yeah. any caliber because it, it absolutely deserves it. Uh, I just thought to about it yourself, just sitting there, just taking it all in, thinking it was fucking phenomenal. It was like. Especially like, especially like the last hour. That's yeah. when I thought, like, fuck me, man, like this is ramping up. And you're oh. like, holy shit, man. And yeah. you do, you like, you just see, like, I know we're not away from it, but at least it's been diluted a wee bit. So we're ever getting closer. But back then, it was fucking brutal. Yeah, like, not to overly spoil it, but it's like that one scene when they bust into the house and just literally like just fucking let rip and you're yeah. like, what the fuck, man? It's like what why? It's like like what the fuck? You know? How good was that? How good the scene though when he turned up at the clan meeting? Yeah. Oh, and just like <laughs> this, the, the absolute balls of doing that is just something, you know, it's like, it's like oh amazing. Um yeah, and then, I think it will win awards. I think it will definitely win awards. I think he will get I think one of them. Weird, they're not up for best. None of them. No, no one's up for best actor. They're both up for best supporting actor. The thing's kind of odd because I would say they're either both the main actor or they're, they're not. So they're supporting each other, but it's too very odd to give them both supporting actors. You know, they're the, they're the two main actors in the film. Mm. Not very odd. That's a very odd decision by the, the Academy to do that. Um, yeah. You don't think I felt. Remember that film Detroit that we saw? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, it felt, felt like a wee bit in that world. It felt like it felt like they could these two could be watched together, like sort of a double bill. Yeah, oh totally. Easily. Yeah. You know, your ten your, your your nerves would be absolutely destroyed by it because you know this film is just full of tension and you know, so you'd be destroyed by it. Did you know who Fred Hampton was before you watched this? No. See, I, I think I kinda I kinda knew about this this scene. Like see I don't know if it's appeared in another movie, but see the scene when they are standing outside and the cops run in with the gas canister? Yeah. Man, I've seen that in another film before. Right, and, okay. it, and I don't know if it's been like a documentary or if it's been like something, but that one particular scene when I watched that, I was like, I've seen this before. So right. I don't know if that's like a very kind of poignant moment within yeah. this story that like it's been replayed in other movies. I don't know, but... I think if you know the Fred Hampton story and you know who he is, you know what, and you know ultimately what's going to happen to Fred Hampton, mm. it changes the story. If you're watching it with so much, you know where this is going, you know where this ends, and you just, you, you, you want it to change, you want it to be different, but you know it won't. It's like yeah. that film, have you watched that film, Fruitvale Station? No, what film, sorry? Fruitvale Station. No. It's a big, one of the, the boy gets killed by um, a cop shoots him in the subway, you know. Oh right, okay. And it's, but, you follow, but you follow his day. Oh, oh as he's sort of going about his day, and you you see so many moments of like just say no to going there, and this won't happen yeah. to you. And yet, and it's just it's filled with that sense of dread all the way through it. Yeah. And yeah. this film is the same idea that like every moment I'm going like I wish 
you're wishing something could be done differently, but you just know it's they're both on this like collision course to go one place. Yeah. And you kind of you just want it to go a different way. And, and knowing where the train wreck ends, mm. it, it doesn't make it any less compelling, but it makes you feel so much sadder watching it because you see what this guy was and what he could have been. Yeah. And ultimately he wouldn't be that because his life was cut like ridiculously short. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I thought I generally thought it was amazing. I, I I loved every second of it. I thought, well not loved every second, not loved it, but I, I found it so compelling from start to finish. Yeah. For a long time. Excuse me. For a long time I was sitting there and the uh, the one of the main white guys, uh, Jess Pelham's. Yeah. That's how you pronounce his name. Every time I seen him, honestly, for more than an hour, I sat there and I was like, where the fuck did I recognise him from? And then it dawned on, once I googled it, I had to fucking Google it. It was from the Black Mirror episode, and I was yeah. like, oh, of course. And Jesse Plemons in so much stuff, Jill hates him. She's like, she loves him as an actor, he's, like, he's, he's always so creepy and just sort of has a face and you go, he's just so fucking seedy and... Well, Stacey called him a fat Matt Damon, so you can tell Jill that. She might like that. She might like that, yeah, yeah. Um, if you ever get a chance to watch him in a film called Game Night, he's very funny in that. He's got, he plays it so straight, but he's so creepy in that. Um, he's also in Breaking Bad as well, and he turns up, he turns yeah. up tons of stuff. He's a very good actor. Um, yeah. He always plays that role where you just go, you just, there's something so off about you, and I, and I, do, not, I do not trust you. Mm. I do not trust you. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm going to give this film 8 out of 10. I think it's absolutely 100%. You should spend time watching it. Yeah, I was joining you on that when I was giving it an 8 out of 10 as well. Because pretty much the exact same reasons. It's just compelling cinema, you know? Yeah. And it is, again, it's annoying that we're watching this in a small screen. It should be seen in the cinema. I remember, I think I saw Detroit in the morning and you saw it that afternoon. Yes. And they both said, like, that film, you felt so tense in the cinema watching that film. Like, you just felt so on edge. This yeah, one's yeah. the same. You feel you do feel generally on edge. I think watching it because because you know what's you know what's happening, what's coming. Um, yeah. So that's us from this week. Next week we've got an interesting mix. We've got one called Antebellum, which is on Sky Movies, which is an interesting sort of a twist on a horror film, which looks really interesting. Um, we also have a documentary on Amazon Prime called The Dissident, which is um about a journalist who gets killed in the Saudi Arabian embassy and he gets his body cut up, which is very sad. On Netflix, we have Idris Elba and Concrete Cowboy. It's all about um, black guys with horses, which looks pretty badass, to be honest. Um, and also we've got on Netflix one called Thunder Force, which is Melissa McCarthy um, and her friend Viola Davis, basically trying to be superheroes um, in, the, in the town. Again, I think that one's going to be played for laughs. Mm. Um, but that's us for this week. Where can people find us, Barry? All the usual social media haunts at Three Beers in a Movie. Uh, that's, that's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's great. And that's for us for this week. I've been Richard. You've been Barry. And you've been listening to Three Beers in a Movie.